Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. Uh, Forbes recently published uh, results from a very simple survey, but it communicates a very powerful truth. Very simple survey. One question. The results were centered around one question, and the question was this. If you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would it be? If you could say in one word what you want more of in your life right now, what would it be? I wonder, I wonder what your answer to that question would be today. I'll pause for a minute. I'll let you think. What, what would you say in one word do you want more of in life? Well, o- over uh, 800 people responded in a, a pretty short time period, and the results were pretty poignant. Uh, the number one thing we want more of is happiness. Happiness. I don't know what you would have said, but number one, uh, overwhelmingly, number one result was happiness. One specific respondent uh, in describing why that was their word said this, happiness has become harder to achieve and even harder to maintain. Time and time again, individuals shared their struggle to find happiness. And the number uh, two thing, what do you think it is? Any guesses? Any guesses? Money. (laughs) Money, right? If you could say in a word what you want more of in life, people said money. No matter how much money someone has, there appears to be a constant need for more. So, so get this, all week, right, all week long, the people we connect with, the people that we work with, the people that go to school with, they want to be happy and they want more, what, power or control or freedom, which is really what money provides or appears to provide, right? What we desire, what we desire impacts how we live. And, and truthfully, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. And there's not even anything wrong with wanting to make more money. After all, you can't give away what you don't have, right? So so I get that. But the challenge is what happens when these desires, among others, become the driving force, the motivating factor behind everything that we do? So today, today, James chapter 4 is going to speak to a group of believers and has something really powerful to say about desire, about desire. So I'm going to invite you to turn today to James chapter 4. We are in a journey that we began back in the fall through the book of James week by week, sometimes even verse by verse. We've made it all the way to chapter 4 in January. Aren't you proud of us? Uh, So if you're here uh, and you've missed out, this is a great day as we're picking up in chapter 4. And if you've been with us, thanks for tracking along. I'm going to invite you to stand today as we read God's word. Uh, We're going to read just the first three verses of James 4. That's all we can handle today. That's all I can handle. And so uh, we're going to read the first three verses. And we stand. Why do we stand? Sometimes we change the posture uh, outwardly because we desire God to move inwardly in our hearts. And so uh, we begin by uh, acknowledging this is God's word. And uh, it's on the screen behind me if you don't have it in front of you. James 4 verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you you desire but you do not have so you kill 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Lord God, we thank you today for this, your word. We believe your word is alive and active in speaking. We don't just acknowledge today that you have spoken through your word. We acknowledge today you are speaking through your word. So as we open it, we ask that you would bring it to life in our hearts and in our minds, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to receive. We do not want to be just hearers of the word today. We want to be doers. We want to respond in action to your truth. So we thank you today in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before you sit down, turn to your neighbor and ask him the question, what do you want? What do you want? Now, whether they answer or not, you can sit down. What do you want? What do you want? Some of you, husbands and wives, that was beautiful because I, I don't know what happened there, but some of the parents in the room said, can I have a normal work week without snow days? Okay, you know, I, I get teacher work days. Can I have a parent work day? Let's be honest. Okay, okay. Maybe that was just me. Maybe that was a little too personal. What do you want? Isn't that the question today? Isn't that the question we should be asking as we look at James 4 verse 1 through 3. I'm just having a little fun there, but I do feel like my kids never go to school anymore. So uh, we'll talk about it later. Uh, somebody, somebody keep praying for me. Uh, we're going to make it. Uh, we're going to look just verse by verse uh, at the passage, these three verses. So I've got it here on the screen again behind me. Uh, but what does James do? He begins with the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? If you're a parent, I'm going to make several illustrations to being a parent because it is a big portion of my life. Uh, but this is kind of the parent walking into the room and saying, hey, what's the problem? What's going on here? <laughs> what's the issue? That's what James really begins chapter four with. What's the problem? Well, he said, well, she said, yeah. isn't it interesting? James is writing to a group of believers. Isn't it interesting that believers are not immune to conflict, are they? We, we see conflict within the church sometimes, within the body of believers, and that's what's happening here. Even these believers that are scattered throughout the region, James is acknowledging there's some fighting, there's some tension here. What's the problem, he begins, and then he's going to answer it for us, right? We see in the very uh, the, uh, next part of verse 1, don't they come from your desires? Desires, we're going to focus on that word here for just a minute. Ray, uh, James is establishing the root of the problem is this desire. And let's acknowledge this because there's some misconceptions about this idea, right? Not all desires are bad. Somehow, some way, many of us, maybe you've grown up in the church, maybe you've heard that preached before and you just believe to believe in Jesus and to acknowledge his word means I can't desire anything. I can't have desires. That's wrong. That's not real. That's not truth. In fact, God's word teaches the opposite. God's word says in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Desires are not bad. They're not bad. But, but let's look at what this word really means because we know that these words were not originally written in English. They're written in Greek and translated now into English for our benefit. And so sometimes that translation is a little bit tough. Some things get lost in translation. So this word desire in the Greek is hedone, which means nothing to you maybe. But that word hedone, it literally means pleasures or lust. It's where the word hedonism comes from. Hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure above all. So James is not just acknowledging kind of any desire. He's saying these desires, this desire for pleasure above anything, this desire for happiness, no matter the cost, right? That's 
That's the root of the problem. That's what's happening here. This is where he's pointing us to. These lusts, this pursuit of pleasure, above all, this being driven by whatever makes me happy and whatever feels right and feels good. That's the source. That's the source. These desires battling within you. And James says that they're driving us. But more than that, more than that, as we go to the next verse, he says these, these are fueling evil in our lives. Look at what he says. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. So these desires, right, they battle within us. And if we entertain them, if we allow them to take root in our hearts and in our minds, they're fueling all kinds of evil. And James is giving some examples that may seem kind of extreme, but his point is he wants us to understand that these desires battling within us, if we let them take root, They're fueling all kinds of destruction around us. He's painting a picture here for first century believers, but this this picture is not just unique to to their day and age, is it? Don't Don't we see some of our world here in this description? A world around us, if we look around today, we see a world fueled by the pursuit of self, centered on self. And today, maybe you say, well, I'm not like that, but, but come on, let's, let's step back. It's not hard to see in ourselves how quickly the fruit of, of these desires, this drive for self, for happiness above all, can take root in our hearts. To please self, to make self happy, no matter the cost, no matter the compromise, the pursuit of more, more, more. If, if we're really honest and transparent today, we, we can acknowledge that we see that even in ourselves. I I see it far too many times. Uh, I'll give you just a few examples today. Uh, I see it often when a loved one passes away, and maybe maybe this hits really close to home to you today, but I I see this maybe from a distance as I'm journeying with people connected to this church and beyond. I've seen it in in my extended family and extended families of others. When someone passes away, instead of a family coming together to grieve, to support one another, what, what happens? They come together and they they begin to bicker and quarrel and fight. And they fight over all kinds of things, all kinds of things that have happened in the past, all kinds of disagreements. But often, one of the number one things they fight about is what? Stuff. Stuff. In this moment of pain, in this moment of grief, instead of coming together and support, they, they begin fighting and quarreling over material possessions. This is painful. This might hit close to home for some of you today because you've experienced that in your own family. But at its core, beneath the grief and the heartache, what is this about? It's, it's a selfish desire. What, what is that desire taking shape in, in those conflicts? And that's, it's a desire for more, maybe a fear I'm not going to have enough or, or a fear that you're going to get something that I deserve. And in the root of that desire, what's happening is kind of the description that James gives us here, right? All kinds of quarreling and fighting and and violence and destruction. Here's another example. I've witnessed this in other forms, and it doesn't always have to deal with stuff, does it? It doesn't always have to deal. These desires that James is speaking about in James 4 is not always a desire for material things. As a youth pastor, I had kind of a front row seat to see the pressures that, that many of our students and young people experience. Now I'm raising teenagers in my own own house, and it's hit very close to home. I see pressures that students face today. 
And, and yes, they, there's pressure they put on themselves. And yes, there's incredible pressure that society and the world places on them. But, but I see firsthand oftentimes the pressure that parents put on their kids. Certainly well-intended, but maybe the pressure in many forms, maybe the pressure to succeed, to get the grades, to get into college. And in seventh and eighth grade, you have to do this so that you can do this, so that you can make it to this. The pressure is incredible. But most specifically, I remember seeing firsthand the pressure that parents put on their kids when it comes to the area of sports. I would sit on the sideline. I'd go to a middle school basketball game to support one of our students. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching parents on the sideline lose their mind, (laughs) angry, threatening the ref, yelling at the coach, the vein in their neck popping out. They're about to go onto the court in the middle of a middle school basketball game, right? Because what is that really about? It's this it's this desire, even within parents, for, for our kids to become something, for them to succeed, for them to do the things I couldn't do. They're going to be great. They're going to be the next, right, right? And what happens is, is, is now we have this entire generation of students that, that feel this, this pressure that, that parents have maybe unknowingly put on them. I, I've seen... I've seen a description of James chapter 4. No, there's not killing happening there, although sometimes it seems like it's about to. I've seen all kinds of destructive behavior come out. And what is that fueled by? It's this desire, this desire for self, this desire even for my kid to be the one to see, for them to have what I couldn't have, this desire, desires that can be okay, they can be good, but when they're in charge, when they're the ones in control, there's all kinds of destruction Man, there's so many more examples, aren't there? Maybe examples you can think of today in your life. Maybe personal. But in the wake of this pursuit that James talks about, where these desires are the ones in control, when they're the ones taking root and calling the shots, we see all kinds of destruction, don't we? We see broken relationships. We see failed marriages. We see compromised integrity. We see overwhelming anxiety. James speaks of the chaos on the other side of this battle, but we see it all around us today, don't we? We were given no promises that studying James would be easy, don't we? And so if you don't like to be challenged by hard truth, you don't really appreciate the book of James, but we see chaos around us, don't we? We know it too well, but, but there's good news for us today. There's good news. James doesn't leave us here. He doesn't just leave us in this tension. He doesn't just leave us in this battle that, that some of us today may feel like we're in the middle of. It's, it's a vulnerable place, a painful place, but James, he's going to challenge these believers. He's going to articulate some of the challenges beneath this battle, and in doing so, he's going to bring, bring a lot of hope to us. We're going to leave here today with, I believe, a wonderful answer, a wonderful promise from God's word. So let's continue uh, reading what James says next. He says this. He's going to really pinpoint what the issue is. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. What's the challenge James is going to articulate too? We see it right here. The first is you you do not ask God. You do not ask God. Again, what is this about? It's about these desires, desires that in and of themselves are not bad. But when they become, when they become the God, when they become the one leading and fueling every decision and everything that we do and they're battling within us and it comes out in all forms of destruction around us, right? So James is saying, well, the issue is 
You don't ask God. Your life is so centered on self that you've forgotten the God who made you. You forgot the God who created you. You forgot the God who, who literally he breathed life into you. He knit you together. You're not some accident. You're not some, just some cells combining and showing up here. No, no, no. You were intimately created by a God who loves you, and you've forgotten that. You've made life all about self and what you can do and what you can produce and what you can accumulate and what you can accomplish. And you may pause every now and then and wave at him, okay, God, thanks. But he's not a focus in your life. He's not a priority. You, you thought you were the source, but you forgot God is. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make is thinking that we can have anything apart from him. And James is saying, you know, the root of the problem is you don't, you don't ask God. You're out there doing it on your own. You're out there figuring it out. You're out there trying to make a way for yourself. Climb the ladder, whatever the cost. But next he says, not just that, but he says you ask with the wrong motives. So, so first you don't even ask God, but then when you do, you ask with the wrong motives because self is in charge because it's all about me. Even when you come to God, it's still all about me. It's still about what I want and my desires. You convince yourself that because God wants you to be happy, then anything you want will make you happy. That must be what God wants. And look, we do this all the time with truth. We rationalize truth in God's word over what makes us happy and what seems best to us because God wants me to be happy, right? And so the issue is here first, we don't acknowledge him as the source. And then when we do, we, we come to him with these selfish motives. God, I want you to bless what I'm doing. God, God, I want you to, this is what I want. Now you come and put your stamp of approval on it. And we act confused when God doesn't answer and respond in the ways that we think he should. For you, God, God has somehow become all about what you can get. Bless me. Help me. Rescue me. And man... God can do all of those things, but I don't believe it blesses and honors him when, when we ask out of a selfish heart. Man, anyone who's had kids knows about this, right? This super simple illustration, but I've got one of my kids, uh, and maybe you can relate to this. Uh, it happens the most with ice cream. Uh, maybe it happens other times, but ice cream, you know, everybody's got their flavor and their thing. And, and one of my kids will kind of look at me, I'm enjoying my ice cream, and you've got yours, and I've got mine. And they'll look at my ice cream, and uh, they'll kind of hold out their own and say, hey, Dad, want to try mine? Now, that appears to be the heart of, you know, just a beautiful, selfless heart saying, God, oh, Father, you have worked so hard to provide this ice cream. You and Mom have suffered long and hard, and you've sacrificed to bring us here. Father, the least I can do is offer you a small taste of my ice cream. You would think that that's what the heart, but, but no, 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 I assure you what's really happening there is, Dad, why don't you have some of mine because I really want some of yours. Does anyone else relate to that? Does anyone else have one kid like that in their house? Man, uh, I got to be careful next service because they'll be in the room. So but, but what is that about? That's not, what's the motive? What's the heart behind that? It's not really what it appears, is it? It's not really a heart that's generous. It's really a heart of, well, if I, if I offer you this, then I could have some of yours. So anymore, I'm like, no, you can just have it. whatever, you know, whatever. But, but we, we do that sometimes, don't we, with God? We ask with kind of impure motives. We ask, and it's really about self. It's really about what, what's in it for me. 
I wonder how often our prayers are filled with, God, bless me, God, heal me, God. Listen, that's beautiful prayer, but, but how many times do we come to God in prayer? And it's just all about me, 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 me. And how many times do we stop and say, God, what, what do you want to do in my life? God, how do you want to work in these circumstances? God, how do you want to navigate the conflicts and difficulties and storms in my life for your glory? How many times do we come to God and it's just, God, me, 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 bless me. Bless me, give me, give me. So, this begs the question. There's hope in what James is showing us here. There's hope, but it begs the question, what does this look like? What does it look like in this battle? We feel these desires that are warring within us, desires for self that desire to control us. What does it mean? Instead of allowing those desires to be in control, what does it mean instead to seek the Lord? with right motives. If the issue in James 4 was that one, you're not asking God, you're not really coming to him, and two, you're not coming to him with proper motives, then what does it mean for us today in 2022 to truly come to him and to truly come to him with motives, with hearts that are pure? Well, the good news for us is we know that James is the brother of Jesus. And often when we read James, we're reading Jesus because there's so many parallels in scripture. And the beauty is as we read James 4, there's a place in, in Matthew's gospel where we can picture the words of Jesus. And I think those words of Jesus are super helpful to where we are today. So uh, if you can turn over with me, Matthew 7, we're gonna read uh, the words of Jesus. James, of course, uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, wrote the words he did in James 4, but reflecting, as we will for a minute, back on these verses, think of what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 7. It says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, the door will be open to you. For in everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The question we're asking is this, what does it mean to come to the Lord, to come to him, to come to him with hearts that are pure, with motives that are not about the selfish desires uh, warring within us, that, without desires that are just me, me, me all the time. What does it mean to come to him with hearts that are pure? And, and Matthew's gospel here shows us the words of Jesus, and Jesus shows us right here. So first, first look at verses 7 and 8, because I think this shows us the first part. What does it mean to come to him? What does it mean to come to him? Jesus shows us. Jesus wants us to be clear. What does it mean that we come to the Father, the God who created us, who loved us, who formed us, who has a purpose for our lives? What does it mean to really come to him? What does that look like? Does it look like I just come to church on a Sunday? Does it mean I better pray every day in the morning before I get up? It's for, he wants to show us a very specific way that we can visualize and understand verses 7 and 8. It says, ask and you will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Some of us have read these words incorrectly. We, again, again, because we live in a world so filled with self, we read these words as a means to gratify self. Well, man, I really want this. And, God, and, and Jesus said, if I ask, he'll give it to me. Well, and, and I really, I really want this. And, and God said, seek it and you'll find. 
And man, I really deserve this, don't I? And he said, knock and it's going to be open. And so we use this verse, the words of Jesus, and twist them around to gratify the desire of self. But we have to remember, remember some specifically uh, what these words mean. Uh, so, so I'm going to be clear. There's a command here, and actually three commands. Jesus is commanding, commanding to ask, commanding to seek, and commanding not. These are not optional. That You must do this. You must do this. But there's something fascinating here. Again, I'm going to speak Greek for a minute because these words were in Greek. And, and there's something really important in translating and understanding this. If this was a one-time command... Then we would read these words in the transcript, and they would be in the aorist tense. Again, if you don't care about tenses, hang on for a minute, because I promise this matters. If this was a one-time command, like, hey, hey, you better ask God once. You better seek him once. You better knock at least once. If that's what Jesus was trying to say here, then it would be in the aorist tense. But it's not. It's not. You may say, what's the big deal? No, no, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Understand that this is in the present imperative tense. You may think that doesn't sound very spiritual at all, but hang on, I promise it is. Because what this is saying, this is not a one-time command. Jesus is not saying, ask once, seek once, knock once. Because this is a present imperative command, the literal interpretation is ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. This is not a one time. This is not a drive by. Hey, I asked you for that, God, and you didn't do it or you wanted. No, no, no. This is not a check the box. I did it. I did it. No, no, no. This is Jesus is painting for us a picture of what coming to God the Father looks like. It means that we ask and we keep asking, that we seek and we keep seeking, that we knock and we keep knocking. It's not a one time thing, it's a relationship. An ongoing activity, just, just as breathing in and out is part of our normal activity, so is this attitude of coming to God in prayer. I'm going to ask, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to seek, I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to knock, I'm going to keep knocking. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a, oh, I did it then and now I'm giving. No, 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 this is a, a present tense, ongoing command that Jesus says, this is what it means to come to the Father. This is what it means to come to him, to acknowledge him as the source. He is the provider. He is the one who created you and and has a purpose for your life, that you come to him and you keep coming. And and you may not get the answer you heard, you wanted yet. You may not get the answer that you're seeking, but you keep coming. And you keep asking because the promise Jesus says is you will. You will receive the answer. He will show up. He will answer if you just commit to come and keep coming. Keep knocking. Keep seeking him. That's what it means to come to the Father. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. What does it mean to come with right motives, with hearts that are pure? Because maybe today, maybe you're saying, I don't know. I don't know if I am. How do I know? Well, Jesus uses this foolish analogy. We read it and we think this is ridiculous. He uses an analogy here in Matthew 7 of a child who asks for bread. And the parent, the father thinks it would be funny to give him a stone. Now, I don't, I don't know who in here would do that, but, but that's, pretty, that's pretty rough, man. That's pretty low. Dad, can I have something to eat? Here's a stone. <laughs> right? I don't you know. What is that? But that's what Jesus gives us. Or they wanna, you want to fish, and oh, here's a snake. Don't get hurt. <laughs> right? It's a terrible analogy. Jesus, no one would do that. But as ridiculous as that seems, Jesus is saying, we... We who are inherently evil, we're inherently sinful people, we would never do that. 
We would never desire to give our earthly children terrible things. Imagine now your heavenly father who's who's pure and holy and righteous and good, how much he desires to give good things. What does this have to do with, with James 4? Because this is all about right motives. What does it mean to come to him with right motives? It means come to him and trust him. Trust that he's a good father. Trust that he desires to give good gifts to his children. God's desire is not to make you miserable. God's desire is not to punish you. God's desire is to not cause you more pain and difficulty than is absolutely necessary in your life. He is a good father. And Jesus is showing us what does it mean to come to him that we ask and we keep asking, that we seek and we keep seeking, that we knock and keep knocking, and at the same time we trust that he's good. He's a good father. He, he, he desires to, to show up in your life. He desires to be near to you. He desires to bless. Maybe not in the way you're asking, because when you're asking, it's all about self, but, but he is good, and you can trust him. That's what Jesus wants us to know. So let's get back to James, right? What, what is Jesus saying to James's challenge? Keep coming to God. Keep coming. Keep seeking. Some of you today, you said, man, I'm so tired of seeking. Jesus says, keep seeking. James would say, keep coming to him. Here's the biblical truth, and it might be frustrating to you or it might be hopeful to you. You don't know if God will act on the first time you ask or the 1,000th time, but we don't stop asking, do we? We don't stop seeking his heart in prayer. Why? Because we trust that he's good. He's the God who created us. He's our maker. He breathed life into us. If it weren't for him, I, I wouldn't be here today. If it weren't for him, I mean, look at all the blessings in my life. Look at all the things. Oh, it's so easy to think about all the things I don't have, right? That's what self wants to focus on. All the, the areas I'm fall short, all the things that I need, all the things. No, 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 but, but step back and acknowledge all the miracles God has done to bring me where I am today. I can trust that he's good, and I can trust that he's faithful. So I'm going to keep coming, and I'm going to keep asking, and I'm going to keep seeking, but I'm going to trust that he's good, that he's good. Uh, I have a, a bottom line for us today. I, maybe you've heard this saying. Maybe you've said it before, and if you have, it's okay. Maybe you believe it's true. Maybe you've heard this, God helps those who help themselves. Maybe you've, you've said that before. I understand what that statement's trying to say, but, but it's not true. It's not true, especially according to God's word, because actually the truth is in God's word, because of sin, because of sin, we can't help ourselves. We can't, we're helpless because of sin. And so the truth of God's word is that's not actually true. But, but I, I want to suggest to you today a better statement, one that is true. And I think that James 4, 1 through 3 points us there. See, the truth today is this. God does not help those who help themselves. He helps those who ask him and trust him. See, the truth is God helps those who ask him, and I could say and keep asking, Right? Not, not a one time, not a, hey, I asked God, and he didn't. No, 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 but, but their heart, the, the, they have such a, an intimacy, a relationship with God that, that every day they're crying out. Every day they're saying, God, here's my heart. Every day they're saying, oh, Lord, this is what I need. But, but as we are asking, we, we trust him. We trust him and believe that he's good and believe that he's faithful. Why don't we ask God? Maybe we don't always trust. 
Maybe today in your life you don't really trust that he's good. Maybe today you don't always trust that he has your best interest in mind, that you better take things under, you better, get, you better control because God, God can't be trusted. Maybe today you're not willing to put to death those selfish desires that are raging within you. But I believe that God helps those who ask him and trust him. I don't know what you uh, think of me today. Uh, please don't say it out loud because it might hurt my feelings. But, but just maybe you have some level of regard for me. But I hope you believe today that I care for you. That's part of my job as a pastor, to care for you. And maybe I haven't done that as well as I could have. But that's my desire to care for you. But, but today, do you believe? Do you believe today? I, I'm a father. I've got four kids. I talk about them often. Do you believe that I love my children? I hope you do. I think you do. You believe that I really love them. And I use the illustration of being a father often because it's just, it's an integral part of my life. It's a constant reminder. I love my kids. They're special to me. And I got to tell you, kids ask for stuff, don't they? <laughs> Some of you, yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, mainly they ask, Dad, where's Mom, right? So, so everybody gets that, right? right? But uh, the next question, the second most question after Dad, where's Mom? Uh, Dad, can you help me? Dad, can you play this game? Dad, can you throw the ball? Dad, can I have some money? Dad, can I have some more money? Dad, can we go to my friend's house? I love my kids. And listen, I, I really love doing whatever I can, whenever I can, with them and for them. And if you believe I love my kids, then you believe the premise that I want to bless them. I want to bless them however I can. That I want to meet their needs whenever it is in my power to do so. So if, if you can believe that about me today. Can you believe that about our Heavenly Father? Who, oh man, he's a way better father than me. And he's, his strength, he's so much stronger. And his wisdom is so much greater. And his power and his, so much better than me. Is it possible today for you to believe that your Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, desires what's best? The band is coming. And uh, we're going to sing a song. I, I believe it's a beautiful declaration. A beautiful declaration of our trust in God. Trust in God as provider. Trust in the one. And maybe you're at a place today in 2022 where this message hits really close to home because there's a battle within you. And maybe there's real fear in your life. Maybe, maybe you're praying that God would show up in, in some ways and, and you're, really, you're really anxious because it doesn't appear right now that he's going to provide. It doesn't appear right now that he's going to answer. You've been asking and God's not showing up in the way that you've expected. And today your, your faith kind of flatlined a little bit. Well, today I want to invite you. I want to invite you. God, God helps those who ask him and trust. And so today I want to pray. I want to pray that you'll trust God. Would you stand with me as we prepare uh, to close with song today? God, today the prayer of our heart, the desire, the posture of our heart is we're going to come to you. Forgive us, Lord, with the desires that we have that are raging within us. And so many times we take matters into our own hands. Forgive us, God, when today we're fearful and anxious and we're trying to figure it out on our own. Forgive us today, God, when we don't come to you. Forgive us, Lord. We repent of that. We want a posture today that we ask and we keep asking and we seek you and we keep seeking. And while we do that, we trust you and we listen. We have a posture of humility that says, your way, God, your way, not my way, your way, your will be done in my life because we trust that you're a good father. And so we would ask today, I would ask 
in the midst of uncertainty today, in the midst of chaos or conflict that may be present in the hearts and lives of those a part of our church family. Today, may they commit to ask and keep asking and seek and keep seeking and knock and keep knocking and do so with a posture of trust that says, God is good. He is faithful. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.